We're going to pray now. Um, we're going to pray for God's help uh, to, to engage, that God would speak to us. That, that is a remarkable thing this afternoon, that God might speak to us. Um, not because I think that my words are God's words, but because I think that what we see in the Bible is the Word of God. So let's pray. Let's pray for God by His Spirit to speak. And let's be hungry for, for Him this afternoon. Lord, we've just sung praise. Praise your name. We've sung of that incredible morning when Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. And this afternoon, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, that we'd know you, that we'd hear you, that your spirit would stir us and challenge us and mold us and shape us to be the people you want us to be. Lord, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to these words um, from Numbers chapter 6. Don't worry about turning to it. I'll get you to jump to some other places later on if you've got a Bible. But let's start with these words in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Can you think of more beautiful words? A more beautiful blessing than that God's face would shine on you. I want you to keep that idea in your mind. We're going to come back to it. And it's going to be very important for us this afternoon as we consider this issue. And you may say, what's that got to do with online? Well, to be honest, there's not much in the Bible about being online, all right? So give me a break, work with it, and you'll see where we're heading. But we're going to think this afternoon um, some biblical principles as we engage with this whole online world. And I want to start with um, a little quiz. Maybe this will be reminiscent for you. Listen to this sound. Does this ring any bells? (laughs) Haven't heard this for a while, have you? (laughs) Terrific, isn't it? Now, if you don't know what that is, that's because you're young. That is the noise of connecting to the internet. Not many years ago. That was how you used to connect to the internet. That was dial-up, right? That was how you dialed up to the internet. Now, the point, the reason I wanted to start with that is because I want to show you, and, and you will know this, but it's important that we get this clear. We have lived through and are living through a revolution in terms of what is happening to humanity. It, it's that big what is going on. In the same way that the Industrial Revolution of the 18th century that completely changed the landscape of human society from being primarily agricultural into a whole new way of living. In the way that we look back on that revolution and we say it completely changed humanity's experience of what it means to be human. That's, we're living through one of those now. 
And it's important for us to understand the pace of change that's happened in the last 20 years. It's happened very quickly. And we are the gen- <laughs> we are the generation together, all of us in this room, we're the generation that have lived over that break. Some of you haven't. Some of you don't know the time before the internet. There was a time before WhatsApp and um, even for texting and mobile phones. That was my youth, right? That was my childhood. If I wanted to contact my friends, I had to phone them on the landline. Or I had to go around to their house. But things have shifted very quickly. And I think what that means is that it's left an older generation bewildered and struggling to try to come to terms with everything that's changed. And often what happens when things change quickly is that the older generation who remember the time before tend to be quite reminiscent of how it used to be and quite dismissive of all this new stuff and sort of go, oh, well, you know, back in my day, we used to play out on the streets and build forts out of leaves and play war games on the streets and these sorts of... Those were the good old days. Now look at the kids, right? That... I'm generalizing, but that can be a, a tendency. And younger people, I think it leaves people with this tantalizing potential and opportunity that lies ahead, and yet we're slightly rootless because we're the first generation to be doing this, so we don't know what we're doing. I'm trying to bring up kids who are experiencing a world that I didn't experience as a kid. You see, these things, it's... it's bewildering to us, and so it's important for us to to think. Now, I'm not sure that we know yet all the implications, and we know it won't for many years, the implications of just all that's changed uh, as this um, huge movement has happened. But I think you can see online that there are three ways that I think main areas that it's changed our lives. One is in entertainment. So entertainment is now on demand. You don't now have to look up what time the program is on. It's on whenever you want it. You don't have to wait a week for the next episode because it's there in 15 seconds. And if you can't wait 15 seconds, don't worry, you can click and it will come quicker. The idea of going to Blockbusters... (laughs) Blockbusters, bless them. There was a business model that quickly went downhill, right? On a Friday night, we'd get excited, we'd get, walk up to the local shops, we'd go into blockbusters, we'd choose, we'd look at all the racks of videos, we'd choose our video, and we'd take it home, it'd be so exciting. Entertainment's changed. It's also changed the way that we handle information. We now have so much information at our fingertips. We know so much more. So all the long hours of discussion that used to happen in the pub around questions that no one quite knew the answer to, that doesn't happen anymore because someone just goes, oh, I'll Google it. That's the end of that conversation. We can fix more things because YouTube now tells you how to do it. I fixed my Mac the other day, my MacBook. Not my Mac, Rain Mac. <laughs> but that would have been clever too. I, I, it's remarkable. I found a part. I took my Mac apart, put the part. I just watched a YouTube video. It told me how to do it. Information's changed. And it's also changed the way we connect, right? Connections. 
I think those are the three main areas, entertainment, um, information, and connection. Now, we haven't got time to do, obviously, this is a huge subject, and I want us to focus just on the connection one, because that is the one where we most have the opportunity to show love for one another, and that's the main theme of this series that we're talking about. So we'll have to leave entertainment, loads to say on that, we'll have to leave information to some extent, although we will touch on that later. But I want us to focus on connection. What does it look like for us to connect with one another well online? Because you you don't need to tell you that the opportunities now for connection are massive. You're connecting people that you forgot ever existed. This little kid who was Joseph when you were Mary in school, and they message on Facebook and say, do you remember being Joseph? And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like all these things happening all the time, all over the place. Now, I think we should be interested in this because connection really matters. And this is why I just want us to get um, some... some of our thinking straight from the Bible. So we're going to do some Bible stuff um, around this theme of connections, and then we're going to think about how that applies in, uh, in our online connections with, with one another. Um, I think we can rightly define God and speak of the God of the Bible as the face-to-face God. I think it's one of the ways he reveals himself to us as that he, he is a God who is face-to-face. That's quite different to how most people would envision what God is like. God is distant. God is far away. God is unknowable. Not according to the Bible. God is the one who comes close. So have a look. Um, If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to a couple of places. Um, Have a look at Exodus chapter 33. None of this is going to be hugely surprising to you because we've seen this in the book of Hosea. We've seen the intimacy of God's love for his people. God loves his people with a covenant love. But let's just get this this really clear in our heads and let's enjoy this for a few minutes. Let's enjoy what our God is like and who he is. So have a look at Exodus 33. And uh, I want you to have a look from verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So here's the situation. God's people, they're in, uh, they're kind of at Sinai at this point, in the desert. And they have this tent, this tent of meeting. And Moses goes to this tent of meeting, and he speaks with God face to face, as one would speak to a friend. Does that not strike you as pretty daring language? For the awesome, holy, omnipotent, beautiful, powerful, majestic God to speak face to face with a squiddy little human being like Moses. That's what God is like. He comes that close. Because the problem is it's only Moses. Right? Moses meets God face to face 
on behalf of all the people, but, you know, your average Israelites didn't have that connection. They knew very little of that connection with God. You see, the problem was that God's people were an impure people, a people who did wrong, and therefore God hid his face from them. But he revealed his face to Moses. But then, right, the same chapter, just to stretch our brains slightly, if you've got it open in front, if you just jump down a few verses, uh, look, look at verse 18, where, God says that, where Moses says to God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So Moses speaks to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then God said, Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, well, you can't see my face. <laughs> Hang on, but you just said that he did speak to you face to face. I think we could probably assume that the person who wrote Exodus wasn't completely thick and understood what they were writing. And I think what we're being shown is that even here, you have this intimacy and yet distance. You have this opportunity for Moses to be face to face, close to God, but not fully. No, no, you can't fully see God's face and live because God is too much. He's too pure, and even Moses is sinful. So here's the wrestle. Here is the, the problem in the Old Testament. Intimacy and yet distance, and this struggle is there all the way through. And then you get to Jesus, and of course the coming of Jesus is God coming in person. And now... Loads of people are meeting God face to face. You're walking down a back street of Nazareth, you bump into Jesus, you've just met God face to face. Suddenly, face to face encounters with God are happening all over the place because God so passionately wants to know you. And listen, you have to know this. God so passionately wants to know you that he came in person so that you could see his face. God did not just send us an email or a WhatsApp. He didn't even just send us a video. He sent his embodied son. Because that's how much he wants to connect with you. And this beautiful son of God is the one who reveals God's face to us. So when you get um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you flick over in your Bibles, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 you read, um, Paul, Paul puts it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Remember what Moses said, show me your glory. Well, you can't see my face. You can see my back, but not my face. Now, in Jesus, the glory of God has come, and you can see God's face in Jesus. That's why Jesus came. It's why Jesus died on a cross. It's why he rose again, so that you could see God's face. 
And you may say, I, but I'd be too, I'm too unworthy. I'd be too ashamed to look at God's face. That's why Jesus came. He came so that you could be forgiven. He came so that you could be welcomed in. He came so that you could enjoy the closest of connections, so that you could enjoy what Moses enjoyed in the tent of meeting back in Exodus 33, so that you could speak with God face to face as one speaks to a friend. It's that intimate. That's what God came to bring you into through Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. And you may say, yeah, but I don't really see his face. I know you say this, but I don't really see it. And if I could see it, that would be wonderful. Yeah, you're right. We don't yet see it fully. But the very last chapter in the Bible, in Revelation 22, listen to this. As God describes to us this great future that he has in store for you, this great future that he has in store for all his people, he says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. You'll see the face of God. That's what we long for, isn't it? That is the ultimate of all connections. That is why connection matters to, so much to us, because we were created to see the face of God. So let's be really clear as we talk about this issue of connection. The supreme connection that matters more than any other is to know God's face. Is that God's face would shine upon you and that God would be gracious to you and turn his face towards you. Do you know this afternoon that God's face is turned towards you? Before we can think about the right way to use the internet, you need to know that God approves of you. You need to know that Jesus came so that you could be in connection with him. Before we can be set free from any sort of justification by Twitter, we need to be restored by God so that we know his grace shining upon us. Then you'll be free to use this great gift that he's given us of the internet. And that's why connections matter so much. But it also tells us something about our connections with one another. And this won't come as a great surprise to you, but in the light of all of that, face-to-face is the greatest of all connections. Humanly speaking, face-to-face. And I think this last year, we've probably experienced that more keenly than ever. And one of the dangers of an online um, experience and an online life is that we can begin to replace the physical gathering with a virtual gathering, and we can begin to imagine that connecting online is as good as connecting in person, and it just isn't. To spend time face-to-face with people matters. When um, the Apostle John wrote his letters, he wrote three letters, and in two of them he says the same thing. He says this, I have much to write to you. This is 2 John, verse 12. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face. 
so that our joy may be complete. He says exactly the same thing in 3 John. The technology of the day was paper and ink, right? That was the, the pen and ink. That was the great technology of the day. I'm going to write you a letter. That was the best way to communicate apart from... And John says, I don't want to do that. Face-to-face matters more. So let's be really clear that we're not to replace face-to-face relationships with online connection, which means... And this is one of the things that... um, when, when James Dock was around at church a lot, he, he kept pushing us to think through, was how do our online connections push us towards face-to-face connections and supplement and help us with? So that's a whole pile of background. We're going to get very practical now, okay? Let's talk practically about loving one another with covenant love in how we interact online. And we're going to take those four words, which I hope you're going to get really familiar with, and we're just going to think about each one in turn. What does each one of these look like in terms of how we love one another? Proactive, compassionate, righteous, constant. What does it look like in our online life? There's so much that could be said. I'm going to touch on it a little bit. We're then going to watch a video with a couple other people giving their ideas. Then you've got a small group on Wednesday night where you can talk about it some more. So hopefully, you'll get some useful ideas and things that maybe will help us to change. What does it mean to be proactive? How do we love one another proactively online? I don't know about you, and you may be different to me, but one of the dangers I find with being online is that it's quite passive. It's quite easy to be passive. Things pop up. Social media is not neutral. You'll know this. None of us are that stupid, and yet we're sucked in by it all the time, right? There's all these algorithms that work out what it is that you've been searching for, therefore what you might be interested in. It's remarkable when you turn 40. I tell you what, everything changes. The day after my 40th birthday, Facebook completely changed. How to get a six-pack in your 40s. (laughs) You know, it's like relentless. Because they know. And you're being pushed content that will interest you. And so the danger is that what happens is we can become passive and we just listen to the voices that reinforce the things that we already know rather than thinking proactively. Let me take a couple of examples of things that have happened very recently and show, try and show you what I mean. We've talked and we've prayed already about the shootings that happened in Atlanta. Let's talk about what happens kind of in our online experience of that news um, story. So the news story comes up on our news feed, and perhaps we read it. Uh, Perhaps we don't. Perhaps we scroll past it. But we may engage, we may look at it, we may find out what's going on, or, or we may scroll past it to find something else. Proactive love will work harder than that. It's it's not just does this grab me? You know what? Some of the headlines on the BBC website, the like the main headlines on the BBC website are so inane, but they grab you because they're like, wow, a two-headed fox has been born. I've got to have a look at it. That's not true. I made that up. But now you're going to go and Google it. And some of the massive stories that are happening in our world, we scroll past. 
So proactive love, when it sees something like that come up in our story, uh, on our news feed, proactive love will think, how does this event affect other people in my church family? How will other people read this story? How will other people be reacting? Who might be impacted by this? So with the Atlanta shooting, we'll think to ourselves, what would it... How will our Asian brothers and sisters be reading this story? How will they be thinking about it? Perhaps it might mean that we try and find some other voices. We do some looking around. We try and find some other people talking, thinking, what, what, what are people saying about this? How can I understand this more? It would lead us to pray. Perhaps it might lead you to message someone in your church and say, this must be really hard for you. Is there anything I could be praying? Do you want to meet up for a walk? And do you see how our online engagement suddenly becomes an opportunity for us to show love to someone as we hear those stories? What about the Meghan and Harry interview? All over social media. Everybody seemed to have an opinion about it. What are we supposed to do with that? We'll be split probably down the middle. I'm not even going to ask you what you think. We'll be split down the middle. Some of you will be furious and think it's a completely stupid waste of time. Some of you will be deeply impacted and feel horrifically sorry for Meghan and Harry. But we've got to be proactive in our love. We've got to be thinking. Suddenly issues of mental health, the talk of suicide, is now filling social media. That should be leading us to be thinking and praying for our church family, praying for others that we know. Whatever you think of the situation, and however you might be responding to it personally, how do we engage proactively with what's going on? How do we think about it? We look hard rather than just getting swept away by a torrent of twittering. Who do you follow? Whose voices fill your news feeds? How diverse are those voices? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to go through and have a look at the different people that you follow. Are they all very similar? <laughs> all reinforcing the same sorts of messages? And those that you do disagree with, do you just write them off as stupid or do you engage with what's being said? Do you listen? Do you, do you follow people who are different to you so that you can be challenged in your thinking and so that you can proactively understand how different people are responding and thinking? I mean, there's more information, I said this earlier, more information than ever available to us. We can get overloaded with it. But do we curate it? Or do we just let it get fed to us? You know, if you were asked to set up an art exhibition, <laughs> which is, I, I don't imagine I'm ever going to be, but if you were, imagine you don't just go, fine, can you just send me a bunch of stuff of art and I'll chuck it all on the wall. You curate it. You think about what you're letting in and what you're keeping out. You curate it. You plan. You, you say, I, I need to understand what's going on here. I need to, what, what, should, what should I be including in this exhibition? Do you know, that's how we should be treating our media. 
curating it? Do you know what's being fed to you and what isn't? What are the voices that you should be muting that are unhelpful to you, that are causing you to, to really have unhelpful thoughts? Be proactive. Unmute. Un- no, unmute. Mute. Follow. Unfollow. Do something. Whatever you do to them. We're too passive sometimes. Proactive love, out of love for our brothers and sisters, will curate our media carefully. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about compassionate. I'm not sure that the online world is a very compassionate place. I'm not sure that social media is very compassionate. I'm not sure that WhatsApp is always very compassionate in the way that we treat one another. And I wonder if that happens because there's a disconnection when we enter a digital world between us and the people that we're interacting with. It feels one step removed, doesn't it? They seem somehow to become less human. Look, the other day, I was, um, I was really annoyed the other day um, because I'd ordered, a, I'd ordered a takeaway, and it arrived. And I was very, very disappointed with this takeaway. It wasn't what I was hoping for. In fact, I, I, was, I was actually not just disappointed. I was very angry. I thought it was ridiculous what they'd sent us. And so I, um, I wrote them an email. It was an easy email to write. It just flowed. I was absolutely flowing. <sighs> Poured out. And I was about to send it, and Linda uh, looked over and read it. And Linda said one thing to me. And it was... It was brilliant. <laughs> she mentioned someone at Globe Church. I won't tell you who it was. She said, do you understand? Imagine that it was this person receiving that email. You know, here's a company struggling in the pandemic, struggling to make ends meet. Imagine it was them. I couldn't send it then. <laughs> I can't do that to them. <laughs> Because suddenly it rehumanizes the connection. That doesn't mean we should never complain, but it does mean that we change our tone. It means we change our heart. It helps us to engage differently. When actually we begin to act with compassion. You know, tempers flare online because we forget to treat each other as human beings. Look, we all know about trolls causing pain through horrific comments. But you don't have to be a troll to cause pain to someone. A WhatsApp message, an email, we've all experienced it, right? You get wound up, you write your email, you send your comment, bang, it's gone, and you've sent it. There's a reason that the book of James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow down. Be compassionate. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you want to say something unkind, if you want to say something hard to someone, say it to their face, face to face. Because it will remind you of who you're talking to. Here's a good rule. If you want to encourage someone, Send them an email, send them a WhatsApp, send them a message, send them a video, send them a voice note, send them anything. If you want to criticize someone, only do it to their face. Don't send an email. Again, from my experience, I remember as a very young, 
um, assistant pastor. I had this very difficult itch issue that I had to deal with, and I had this brilliant idea of doing it by email, and I sent this email to this uh, young, um, young person who I was telling they could no longer help out with Sunday school um, because of a various reason. I sent them an email, and I clicked send and thought, well, haven't I dealt with that effectively? This pastoring thing's all right. Five minutes later, the phone rings, and it's the mother of this young person saying, I've got my uh, young person in tears here. Do it, do it face to face. Let's be compassionate. And in, in your comments, let's, let's be compassionate. Let's be righteous. Um, here are three questions, I think, that you could ask about whether to post something on social media. You'll have heard stuff like this before. Is it true? Righteousness cares about what's true in a world of fake news. Let's not be people who just pass on fake news. Check your sources. Check if it's true or not. God is a God of truth. We should care about truth. It's tempting to speak about great authority, with great authority about things that you know nothing about. Seems to be what social media is all full of. People telling us the things that they know nothing about, but they have very strong opinions on. Now, is it true? But true isn't enough to be righteous. Something can, you, you can speak truth and still not be righteous. This is why when, if, if we go out for dinner and you cook my kids dinner and they are sitting at the table and we're around the table and they say, this is disgusting. That might be true. Yeah, it, 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 it could be true, but it's not righteous. Because the second question is, is it good? Is it a good thing to say? That is, is it beneficial? Does it build people up? Does it help? And even then, there's a third question. Is it good, true? Is it good? And does it serve anyone? Or are you just serving yourself? So I'm giving a lot of personal examples because that's the only examples I've got. A few years ago, when I first was on Twitter. I realized that Twitter is very unfashionable, but it's all I've got. A few years ago, I decided um, I would tweet every day one Bible verse from my morning quiet time. I thought that would be a great service to the world. Well, to my 17 followers. <laughs> was what I was tweeting true? Yes. Was it good? Yes, it's the Word of God. Did it serve anyone? Or was I actually just doing it to serve myself? And it, was just, it wasn't many days, and I thought, what am I doing this for? What's the point of this? How's this helping anyone other than saying, hey, look at me, I'm reading the Bible every day? And I think a lot of what goes on on Twitter and Instagram and all these places, that, <laughs> like, is it serving? Now, I don't want to be killjoy. I think it's great to see pictures of, you know, your, your new dog and your, you know, things that are happening in life and this is happening and this is... And that's great. And it's nice to be able to share stories. Let's not be completely ridiculous about it. But you do realize that when you put a picture of your uh, new yacht that you've just bought, I've always wanted a yacht. And now I, I'm struggling. <laughs> You see, let's be kind to each other. Righteousness 
Is it true? Is it good? And does it serve? Is this a right thing to be doing? So we need to engage with social media from a place of we're already righteous in Christ. We've got nothing to prove. We don't have to prove our justification. We don't have to prove how great we are. God approves of you. His face is turned towards you. He loves you. You can chill out. You don't have to impress anyone. Share what's helpful and shut up about what's not. And fourth thing, I need to stop. Uh, let's be constant. Let's be people of integrity. Our yes be yes. Our no be no. Let's say what is true. Let's not big ourselves up. Let's not try and show off to be something. Let's not be something on social media that we're not in person. Let's be constant. You can take some of this stuff and work this out, I'm sure, as easily as effective as I can. 